my next door neighbor texts me. He's like, we did get your goldfish package, crackers, goldfish. I'm like, what do you want me to do with this? <laughs> did you get like a value pack? I know Sam knows about this because he's got kids. You know, there's like big goldfish cartons. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I could walk 30 feet and have my hands on one. Every dad has one of these. You, you should too, mate. Cross-generational feast is the goldfish. <laughs> I was never really a goldfish guy. I mean, I get that it appeals to the kids because of the shape, but I prefer Cheez-It. Yeah, Cheez-Its are saltier, much saltier. Goldfish, I limit myself to one handful a day, Sam. That's a low bar, yeah. I will go to that kitchen and I will just pound. I will just, because they come out with a spout. And so I'll just like grab it and pour like a bunch into my hand. And then I'll just be like, I just did 10 handfuls of goldfish. (laughs) I think I consumed... Like entire garbage bag full of goldfish. So I've I've done a personal limit of one handful at a time. And that's a very generous handful. I'm like basically piling it this high in my hand. That's impressive. I shouldn't admit this because you're talking about pouring. I might be that guy. I mean, it's it's my house, so to speak. You know, I'm I'm the dad. I can pull this card. I'm going hand all the way in and shoveling out as opposed to the poor it might not be as sanitary but you get a bigger handful that way you're actually i think you your kids are a lot older than mine or maybe somewhat older than mine so i think you got a lot more savviness to your game here <laughs> the oldest one is a little addicted to those goldfish and the dangerous part is that he's discovered the extra cheesy ones which are a little much flavor blasted yeah flavor blasted yeah probably not the healthiest move for the amic children but very tasty. We are mostly whole grain. We're a whole grain family, which okay. less tasty, but I guess healthier for you as far as like cheese crackers go. Sure. And we got accidentally, cause we, we do whole foods orders. We do like local grocery store orders. We just pick it up, bring it home. And you know, Maze, Maze has some feelings about this and doing the whole curbside pickup and having other people shop for you. One of the issues is that we got the flavor blasted goldfish instead of the, the whole grain. And those are two very different foods very different they are i was an operator air there that was the shopper deciding that you needed a little extra flavor blasted yeah or they just didn't care to look and just grab the carton off the shelf you know i like to think that they thought you know what they made an editorial choice this guy seems like a flavor blasted kind of guy i'm gonna upgrade it Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstroh. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstroh. That's Amin Al Hassan. Latest news that we just got, I guess, like a, in the past hour, is that the Miami Heat and the Chicago Bulls are being penalized for illicit sign-in trade negotiations before they are allowed, basically tampering with Lonzo Ball and Kyle Lowry, and they are being penalized. One second round pick each, and that just dropped about, I don't know, half hour ago, an hour ago. Sam, what are your first thoughts upon hearing this news that the investigation is concluded and the penalties have been handed out? I just would like to have like a live look into uh, John Horse's office in Milwaukee where they paid a bigger price and didn't get their player for the Bogdanovich situation oh, with really? the Kings, you know, the year before. I'm sure the Bucks aren't happy. I always admittedly from a commentary standpoint, and maybe I shouldn't be this way, but I find myself being reluctant to weigh in on 
like the the general question of Adam Silver's tenure and the way that he litigates. But the longer he does the job, I, I just think we've reached this point of where it's beyond fair to say that that you know, like somebody tweeted a little while ago that I think it was our our guy Ben McMahon that you know Adam Silver ruling with the iron fist. Like he just doesn't come down hard nine times out of ten. The Donald Sterling situation was obviously the the outlier and one that kind of set his legacy in terms of you know handling discipline that's just in a universe all its own but with this kind of stuff um man this is a this is a long time and a long investigation to take a second round pick away from teams that don't even have one for like five years i don't think it's out of question to say this guy's easy on crime yeah we exactly. need a commissioner who's tough on crime no i mean it, it just doesn't make sense given the smoking gun of the complexity of a sign and trade and the consummation literally one minute into free agency. It, it just doesn't make sense. And, and at least Miami has or had the fallback argument that, well, we had tried to acquire Lowry at the trade deadline. So we already kind of, that com- those conversations had happened legally before. When we talk about Lonzo Ball and the Bull, I mean, there, it's just impossible for you to tell me Oh no! Yeah, this this had you know as a continuation of something else, and so the fact comes that, like you said, the Bucks got hit with a second rounder, cooperated, right? And a fine, yeah. Well, but they cooperated in the investigation. They weren't they didn't try to be obtrusive or whatever. They didn't get their player, and they got hit with a second round pick. Meanwhile, the Bulls got the player. I don't know, man. I mean, it, it, I was staggered. Well, and I mean, do you agree that at the time, and this is not the type of stuff they would admit publicly, but the intel was that part of them not getting the player was the player and the agent saying, whoa, 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 we're out. Yep. And so you paid that price. It wasn't, you know, Bogdan just looking at Atlanta and saying, man, you know what? On second thought. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So so the idea that, you know, and you could, man, didn't Griff have some comments? Like oh my! Like she tried to act like oh my god! How did they do this? They they stole our guy. Uh, I, it just it it doesn't matter. By the way, also do Toronto and New Orleans not get in trouble at all? I mean they they engaged they colluded in this act of of cap circumvention pretty much, right? Of uh, th- they were willing participants in it. Right. So the fact that they don't get anything, none of this makes sense. And again, it's there's a couple of times a year where I kind of sit back and I sigh and I say, I miss David Stern, man. Yeah. <laughs> like sometimes you just need that asshole who's going to, because now tell me what the disincentive to do this is. It, I, yeah. There's no incentive or disincentive like if you have a conspiracy theory if you're a fan a casual nba fan or even if you don't even like the nba but you're looking at this on sports center or or across twitter and you're seeing the fact that uh milwaukee is going to be incensed that the nba basically handled handled the chicago bulls and miami markets with kid gloves it's perpetuating the the big market bias of the NBA being like sticking it to the small market teams, the Milwaukee's of the world. And then being like, Hey, Miami, Chicago, go get your guys. And we'll slap you on the wrist with second round pick penalties. Like that, that conspiracy theory of that the league wants these teams to succeed and doesn't want small markets like Milwaukee to make the finals 
right? Like that conspiracy theory isn't being dissuaded by this <laughs> by this news today. Although Tom, as as you know from your time in in Miami, I just want to make sure that you know you know the league's going to call and remind you that Miami's not a big market. You know, it's, <laughs> oh it's yes. right there yes. with all the small markets. 16th in size or what is yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. You're right about that, Sam. Um, and, and and so I'm, I look at this and just say, how can you think that the league is taking the tampering seriously? Like, it just seems like it is a policy in which they have to say that they don't want tampering or, or agents and teams not and, and players not to conspire or, or figure these things out before the, uh, the deadline opens or i guess the free agency period opens but this just seems to me like they have a policy but just like with the dnp rest policy that they instituted like they have a policy but really the penalty is toothless it's very and if you're milwaukee man they didn't get bogdanovich they didn't get bogey and they cooperated they cooperated and they and they got hit with a second round pick which you can say hey it's a second round pick but for milwaukee like second round picks matter a lot more to Milwaukee. Any sort of draft picks that they can have are going to help them. Not just that, but like also draft picks that most of the time are a lot cheaper than a first round pick. First round picks got the rookie scale. Milwaukee's a uh, is a tax paying team in a small market. That's their value deals is the second round picks. So Sam, you sat down with Bogdanovich like this time last year, somewhere around then, uh, to talk about how that went down. Yep. Um, I loved your the word that I think he invented. Bogey invented that he got betrayed. <laughs> he, he got betrayed by getting signed and traded without his permission. And yep. it's just another round of the Kangs being the Kangs is that they traded Bogdan Bogdanovich without his consent. And he found out, I guess, in the middle of the night while he was sleeping in Serbia that he had been traded to Milwaukee Bucks. He was a restricted free agent. Right. <laughs> like how does that happen let me just chime in sam i don't know what your answer is but in my mind this is one of those answers from bogdanovich that i'd think it's bullshit yeah i mean i was gonna say certainly people don't necessarily believe bogdan that's where our jobs get fun right is you're is you're you're trying to go to the source and get the story straight from him the only nuance is that i don't have clarity on is like all right He's a Wasserman guy, so what is his agent saying or maybe even inferring to the the Kings and the Milwaukee during that time where he feels like he's got, you know, entree to, to say what might work hypothetically. They denied it all the way through. I will say when that all went down, it was kind of wild because when the story broke that that deal was going down, and this is, this is rare in, in our industry, you guys know this, that I end up breaking the fact that that deal was in peril, but it was three days after the news broke. And during the course of those three days, I know for a fact that Vodon's people had been trying to get someone in the media to write this, but it just being real, like, because it was so out there already, people didn't believe them, but they were trying to kill it right away and saying, this is not true. It's not accurate. This and that. So I don't know exactly how it all went down, but uh, to take it back to the the Buck side of it, I mean, they were pissed about what they got, you know, at the time. So I can't imagine them right now. 
I mean, that was that feels like it was a decade ago. Um, but the Milwaukee Bucks have since won a championship. The Atlanta Hawks with Bogdan went to the Eastern Conference Finals. So, I mean, are you like a white noise sleeper? Do you need like city noise? Do you need someone talking to you as you sleep? Every night when I go to bed, I put on a DC movie. Maybe it's uh, Suicide Squad. <laughs> Maybe it's the Batman with Robert Pattinson. But I need something extremely boring to put me to bed. Wow. I can't believe you would do that to them. I hate hard with a mean right there. There goes our sponsorship. For me, I do like the rain white noise. Uh-huh. Not just the white noise, because white noise we do for the kids, the toddlers. But I have so prioritized sleep because after doing all of these science articles on the power of sleep, and that's when you like build up all of your memory, your testosterone, like all of these hormones and all these if you're if you're working out, if you're running. You need sleep. LeBron James famously is like a big sleeper. I'm always curious when he's watching the late game. Not very often. Because you know what makes LeBron James King James, I mean? Crown. (laughs) He might wear a crown while he sleeps. But it's sleep. It's those Zs. It's catching those Zs. It's catching those flies. That's right. Sleep is his superpower. And Calm is the number one app for sleep and meditation. Calm has teamed up with LeBron James to help you activate the power of sleep. And I've tried it before, and man, it does help. You know what also helps is a really boring book. I get through like five pages now. My buddy, Kevin, told me, read in the morning, not at night. And I was like, I get it, but it also helps me put to sleep. The Calm app also helps. Here's what you do. Start reading in the morning. Start using the Calm app at night. Ah, yes. LeBron and Calm know one thing. Your mind is like any other muscle in your body. But you don't have to be a world champion to learn how to train it. Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, you reduce your stress, and perform at your best, just like King James. You know, you always think that the idea is you just got to power through. You got to grind all night. Nah, that stuff is like the 1990s. That's the Oscar Robinson days, right? I mean, did I say Robinson? Havlicek. Never slept. Never slept. Just powered through. Didn't believe in the power of sleep. For LeBron, sleep is a critical part of his mental fitness routine. As he says, quote, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind. From the sound of rain falling on leaves to bedtime sleep stories, calm puts me to sleep within minutes. That's right, LeBron. I'm right there with you, which means I wake up ready for any challenge, unquote. So if you head to calm.com, that's C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash Habershow, not Haberstrow, Habershow, H-A-B as in boy, E-R-S-H-O-W. For a limited time, I mean, you'll not get 10%. No. You'll not get 20%. No. Not even 30%, I mean. 32%? Nope. Oh, that's the big number. 40%. That is the same. Steph Curry shooting from 28 feet or beyond. 40% off a Calm premium subscription. With Calm, you have access to the nature scenes that LeBron loves, like those rain on the leaves. And so much more, like sleep stories, meditations, all so you can be ready for the challenges that life throws your way. I mean, for a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron James. Yes, that LeBron James in using Calm and get a 40% discount. That's right. I didn't believe it either. 40% discount on a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Habershow. Unlock content to help you focus, 
ease stress and sleep better, get started at calm.com slash Habershow. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash H-A-B-E-R-S-H-O-W. And then you have the Sacramento Kings who are now, they have fired Luke Walton after blowing a lead, a third quarter lead in which they're they're up 72 to 68 against the LeBronless Lakers last night. The Lakers went on a 49 to 20 run to finish the game. Um, and then afterwards, Alvin Gentry, the interim coach for the Sacramento Kings. And I mean, I should just have you like read the statement in Alvin Gentry's voice, but he apologized to fans. After the game last night, a very rare move in NBA coaching circles. Also from an interim coach who's apologizing on behalf of, of, of the Sacramento Kings where Alvin Gentry's apologizing to the fans. Like this is just, it never gets old, man. Pushing all the right buttons, man. That's my guy, Alvin, man. This guy knows <laughs> how to play the game. I tell people all the time, you want to know how good Alvin is at this NBA shit? He came to the NBA in 1988 with Larry Brown. When Larry Brown left Kansas and went to the Spurs, he brought a bunch of people with him. Greg Popovich, R.C. Buford, and, uh, uh, of course, Alvin Gentry. And since 1988, there has never been a full NBA season that happened where Alvin was not employed as an assistant coach or head coach somewhere. Every single season since 1988. He's been in the NBA continuously. 33 years. Longer than most players have been alive. I'm Tom Haverstrow, and you're watching The Big Number. The crazy part about that, and this is right up your alley, I mean, like, is that if you go to the the recent, and this has been reported, and it's definitely true, you know, the story about Alvin getting into it with Griff over the way things ended in New Orleans, where, you know, the the time sticking unit had reported that that Griff indicated that, that he was giving Alvin the playbook and he still wasn't getting it right, some disparaging stuff. And Alvin ends up confronting Griff about that comment when they see each other in person. I was talking to somebody about that. And to your point, it's like Alvin's basically gone through his entire NBA tenure without having dust-ups with people. That's how you stay employed, you know, and, and, and keep getting those checks and, and have a good reputation. You know, that was the outlier, but... For sure, and in, in Sack, it, it, it's brutal out here because I love, you know, Alvin's demeanor, <clears throat> you know, but the coaching change doesn't matter. You know, I wrote that at the time. It's not the problem. The roster is the problem. The organization and its history is the problem. And, you know, so now if you break it down, I think they're five games in. Uh, by any measure, they're actually worse in the last five games. Um, and the contrast that, that keeps – that I, I keep finding so interesting is like, if you go to a game in downtown Sacramento, it's, it's wild because like the arena is so nice. And then the downtown area, especially on a weekend, you know, it's a lot more lively than it used to be. Everything around the Kings is actually kind of popping over there. And then you go in the building and it's just like, Oh my God, every night, you know, this Lakers game, I made the mistake of, I was there last night. Uh, I turned to, you know, longtime Kings writer, James Ham sitting next to me and, Kings are up like 14. I said, James, this is officially a game that, that the Kings, like, you know, they can't lose this game. They've, they've got this game at this point. And like the <laughs> second I said that, it was off to the races. So, I mean, it's the same as it ever was. What's your interpretation of what's going on? Is like De'Aaron Fox like checked out? 
I mean, he's actually gotten marginally better the last couple of weeks. He got off to a brutal, brutal start. Um, wasn't getting to the rim, you know, about like really like half as much as he was last year. A lot of questions about weight. Mm-hmm. Not only just the bad kind, but like, did he hit the weight room too hard? It's funny, before every Kings game, they play like this promo video that includes like a shot of De'Aaron looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger and like hitting the bench press. And every time I see it, it's just like, yeah, maybe a little bit too much of that. You know, <laughs> they've been giving the ball to Tyrese Halliburton more in transition, which has been something that, that I think has slowed De'Aaron down a little bit. But there's a lot of layers to it. You know, Holmes, to me, is far and away their most consistent, reliable guy. And then when he was out, it was, you know, a train wreck. So they're just a bad mix. Harrison Barnes got off to like an all-star caliber start, naturally fell off. Um, Buddy Heald had his own little couple-week stretch where his handle didn't look as sloppy, his defense didn't look as pathetic. He actually was checking a few more boxes with his all around game. And I feel like he's taken a turn too. you know, you guys probably saw that moment when they played Philly when, you know, who knows what he said, but he kind of whispered something to doc on the sideline. And it just had this look of a guy saying, Hey doc, come get, get me, me out, out of here. here. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So I do think that the, the guys in the locker room at this point, I mean, you, you heard Alvin last night. How, how often do you hear a coach say to the fans, you deserve better. And if these players can't deliver it, we'll go get some who can, which is essentially what he said. Like, they're going to be, I think, incredibly active with the deadline, especially if it keeps going this way. I mean, have you seen a player who did a muscle watch, like bragging about how much weight he's put on, how much he's lifting and how much stronger he is? Has that ever worked out? Like, I always feel like it always ends out with a player having a bad year or getting injured, blowing out his knee or something like that. I always think of Roy Hibbert doing that. And he's never, he was never the same after he put on like 20 or 30 pounds of muscle one off season. Hmm. I mean, would Giannis count? Oh yeah. That'd be a great. I was going to say Steph, Steph this year is, is part of his narrative is Steph being bigger. Yeah, But Steph has been like a gradual ramp up. Yeah. Like this sure. has been years in the making. Giannis is the one I remember coming back, but whoa, that dude put on some weight and looked even better after doing it. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it's because, you know, in a lot of cases, those guys are a certain weight for a reason, and then they put too much weight on. Lonzo Ball is another guy that reminds me, put on all that weight and then got hurt instantly. Whereas Giannis is probably one of the rare instances, like this dude is underweight. He should not be this weight. Mm. He should he should be heavier because he's like malnourished pretty much right like isn't that the the gist of what we got from from uh, Mirren Fader's book is that this is a guy who like lacked nutrients and was uh, underweight for a reason not because he's a naturally skinny guy but because because he hadn't been eating well he's counting Oreos and stuff right isn't that the story <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think was he was eating just. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner Oreos nonstop. That can't be an NBA diet. But not dipping them in milk. That's right. Apparently until this week. Sam, what do you think is the most likely scenario here for the for the Kings? Like De'Aaron Fox's trade value has, I mean, with the new contract and the way he's been playing, he's got to play better in order to get whatever they want uh, for him if they're going to move on for that. Or they should have moved on from Luke Walton and De'Aaron Fox in the offseason if that, in fact, a Ben Simmons deal and try to just change the old tenor of the organization, but then they fire Luke Walton. And now they got to deal with a couple of their players who in Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox have seen their trade stock um, 
or at least their numbers across the board fall. So what do they do now? Like what, what is their best course of action? You think? I don't know. Cause the Fox thing is a problem. Cause if you wanted to, to reach for the move that a couple months ago, you said you didn't want to do with the Ben Simmons move. Like I, to me, there's no way that that meets the Daryl Morey bar, you know, Fox for Simmons. I, I would be stunned if Philly said yes to that, especially with the way the Sixers roster has evolved. It's, it's not what they need at all. So something like that to me is off the table. Um, to state the obvious here, you know, you fire Luke Walton, who Luke had a really good relationship with Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox in the front office. But as you guys know, it's whenever you got the coach that they didn't hire, that's going to be an issue. And it was at the end. Now Fox is kind of, to me, phase two of that. He's a player, a franchise centerpiece who they didn't draft. Now they did extend him, And that was like two months after they took over. I mean, you know, Vivek was basically saying that's going to be what we do. So I, you know, that matters to me, um, but his value is a problem. You know, the, the other usual suspects, of course, are our buddy and Bagley and Bagley, I think will land somewhere else. I just don't know if it's Detroit or somewhere, you know, Barnes is a guy that if you go back to the deadline last year, there were people who were pretty stunned that they didn't do something with Boston or some of these other teams that had interest. Um, I think Harrison still has value for sure, but it's not what it was six weeks ago. And I mean, you, that's the crazy part of this business is the human factor where we know who Harrison Barnes is at this point. It's a little you know, insane that he's got to be on a 30 game hot streak to, to impact the value, but that is kind of how this goes. So they're going to work the phones. You know, Monty McNair is, is by no means a Daryl Morey uh, carbon copy just because they played together. I'm sorry, worked together in Houston. But I do think that mentality of um, being aggressive and, and shooting for the stars is part of what he does as well, even though he hasn't done it yet. He's been really reserved or kind of measured in his tenure in SAC. And, and at some point, he's got to mix up the roster here. Sam, one of the things that I was surprised about, and again, this maybe this is just the reports that are rumors and conjecture, but not really based in fact, was how reluctant Sacramento was uh, in dealing with Philadelphia for for potential Ben Simmons deal. Well, you can't have Fox, and you can't. And it, it, I was staggered. I said, "Who the hell are you guys to say no to any any piece of talent? Like, particularly one where you could say, you know, honestly, he would raise the caliber of our program." exponentially to a place that hasn't been in 15 years, uh, 15 plus years. What do you think is the root of that? Is that just negotiate? First of all, I mean, I guess assuming it's true, is that just like being a, a tough negotiator or, or are they, you know, is the Ben Simmons kind of vibe down to that level? Yeah, no, it was true. I mean, I wrote it and, and I believed it at the time, meaning that that story, which I guess would have been, what are we in December now? I mean, this would have been September. That that story, when I wrote it, I felt confident it was going to hold up for a couple months. Now, you always knew as you got closer to the deadline, you got to see how the team plays. I think the root of it, though, to your question, is that they still have a, a big-time complex in Sacramento when it comes to players wanting to be here and the fact that that matters. So I think Fox is you know, in Sacramento value at that time was you could argue higher than it even should have been just in terms of basketball. 
because he, to that point, made it clear he wanted to be in Sacramento. Halliburton is a guy who has been a fan favorite, and for good reason. They were very excited about going into year two. I think they're still all in on Tyrese. He's not playing all that well. He's not shooting enough. That's something Alvin talked about last night. He's too reserved on the offensive side. But it was the idea that these guys, in their minds, were part of a young core that they thought, if things fell right, could turn into something, and they wanted to see that. On the flip side of it, yeah, I think the Simmons optics have been tough because for one, you know, does he want to play in Sacramento? Again, it goes back to does he want to be there? Does that matter? And and I think they were just waiting to see. Um, but now, like I already said, it, it's like, well, I'm, I don't even think you could go back to that table and get that thing done. But they were hoping this would go, you know, in a direction that would make them the, the latest uh, – team that was beloved by these fans because as you know it's like you go back to that that one Kings team that made the conference finals you know is you got Doug Christie on the bench now Bobby Jackson coaching the G League team Peja and Vlade have already done front office since you know if you were part of that group then then you got kind of a lifetime pass that's how they roll with guys who wanted to be in sack and they were kind of hoping that this bunch would turn into that Sam how would you describe Joe Dumars's role with the Sacramento Kings it's pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, he was in the room when they made the choice on Alvin, which is significant um, in person, which is not always the case. I think he has a place in Sacramento now. He didn't before. Uh, he's based out of L.A. But he, you know, has been around a little bit more. You know, you've got he, – he's playing the Jerry West role, um, you know, that – former player, former executive, who's the owner's kind of right-hand man. Is that by his, by his choice or, or by Vivek's choice? Being around more? There was a time two, three years ago where people were saying, hey, Joe's going to get back in the league somewhere. Right. And, and we, you know, when Sacramento, when Vladi left, there's a feeling, well, maybe this is Joe D's job now. This is how he gets back in. And then instead it morphed into, you know, I think very accurately, a, a Jerry West advisory role. Is that because Joe, in the same way that Jerry didn't want to do today? Oh, oh, he's officially the chief strategy officer, guys. Yeah. The, yeah. the chief strategy <laughs> yeah. officer of the Sacramento Kings. Is that Joe choosing as Jerry did? Like, I don't want to be the day-to-day guy anymore. I just want to kind of float around and no, I don't get think my so. input? No, no. That was Vivek's choice then. Well, so when they opened up, the, this is when, when we were all in the bubble. They opened up the front off, you know, the fire Vladi. Then they're figuring out what they're going to do next. And they opened up the surge and it was confusing to cover right out the gate because the guy, Joe Dumars, who in the beginning we were being told that, that he was going to be part of essentially the panel that would hire the next GM, that very quickly you started hearing that he wanted to be the next GM. And, you know, and so it was like, all right, it's a, it's kind of uncomfortable too. Cause you, I always tell people, Joe is not, this is not a case of, you know, you could crack on Vladi because he'd never been an executive and he made a bunch of mistakes. You know, Joe Dumars is incredibly accomplished in this league. And so I think if the messaging had been different, if they just said, you know, we're going to make Joe the guy, then then there's a way you can sell that. But it wasn't that way. It was he's going to be part of the group that hires the next guy. And then almost kind of quietly, you started hearing like, no, he's, making kind of making people feel around the league like he plans on being the next guy then i don't think the kings for whatever reason loved how that was received once it kind of got out 
And then it just seemed like he got kind of pushed back into this other space. So, uh, but all that being said, his influence is significant. Um, you know, they have an interesting mix of guys that I think are working, honestly, like in a vacuum, I think they're functioning reasonably well. Like Monty gets along well with Wes Wilcox, who's very experienced in his own right. And then Joe playing that role. Uh, but I, you know, like always, I think there's some push and pull too. Yeah. Cause I look at that and say, if Ben Simmons, if an offer came across the table, who ultimately signs off on that? Like, is it, is it Monty bringing that to Vivek or is that him bringing it to Joe who gives it to Vivek or is it just all in the same room and Vivek has the final say? I don't, I legitimately don't know. I know on the Alvin move, Monty got what he wanted. So, okay. Score one for Monty on that one. Like, because the Doug Christie noise that was real was a hundred percent driven by the ownership side. <laughs> Vivek is what now? He's seven years, six eight, years, twenty thirteen. Eight, eight years into owning yeah. the Kings, and before that, remember he had a couple of years in Golden State as a minority owner. Yep. He's still playing this fucking game of like being super fan. <laughs> he still doesn't get it. You don't have to answer that, Sam. <laughs> well, it's not only that. It's just this thing. I it, Admittedly, the, the, the part I hate is that some of these guys are really good. You know what I mean? Right. But they get – but it's not about the guys. It's about the process, right? Right, and right. It's like – so right now I would say the thing that they still uh, – is a big part of the, the Kings, you know, I guess collective personality in their decision-making process is that – if you are a former king who was part of any success, or if you have a six degrees, you know, of Golden State component to your resume, mm-hmm. then then you shoot up the board. You know, like this summer, the way things are going, I, I think Alvin, you know, is going to have a hard time being the guy long term. He'll certainly be considered be in the running, but I think you know, let's say they open it up this summer, and and so you have guys that that I've already heard where. I, they might be great hires, but they they have that same part of the resume. Mike Brown and Kenny Atkinson come to mind. I, I would anticipate them, you know, getting a look this summer. Uh, again, those are two, you know, Mike I, Mike right now is, I mean, his resume just keeps getting better, and he's been doing this a long time. And, and Kenny obviously got short shrift in Brooklyn. But so there's nothing wrong in a vacuum with that, but it's got the same tint to it. Well, I mean, I think, I think that that's the point. At least that would – mark a huge upgrade in because think of all the other people that they've hired or tried to hire i guess in the case of doug and nothing against doug you know but you know this is his first year out of the broadcast booth in a coaching position the idea that they would be pushing him after what happened with vladi who had never done this before and they appointed him and uh you know you go down the list of you know and then vladi hires Peja, who had never done this before and uh, uh, what's my other? Was it Drobniak? Was he in the front office with them as well? Yeah, I'm forgetting the name. That no, yeah, he hired a bunch of dudes who had never done these jobs before, and you know, like I know because I went through it in Phoenix, where it's like you can't have an entire army of people who have never done the job before. You have to have people who are like lifers who've done this to make up for your lack of experience doing this in the same way. That if we hire a coach uh, who's never, you know, you know, like Steve Nash becomes a head coach in Brooklyn. All right, cool. 
we're going to supplant him, or you know supply him with all of these guys who have been around the block a million times, Mike D'Antoni and Jacques Vaughn and whatever, because you have to make up for that. And it's so it's just it's crazy to me. Again, eight years in, he still doesn't get that part. Like just because somebody played here and stuck around, that's not enough of a reason to just say, yeah. It's funny too, because I'm today putting together an interview that I did with, I talked to Steve Kerr the other day, right? So this Kerr interview had me going down memory lane with how he first got to the Warriors. And I'm going to poke fun of myself in this column because I, I was critical of the hire at the time, you know, and I have a line in the story that was like, you can't get some columns back. But I thought about Steve Kerr in the, in the context of Doug Christie, never coached, you know, and okay, what's different, what's different. And I'm, and I'm going back and reading everything. And at, at minimum, if you guys remember, Steve came to his interview with the Warriors infamously in that airport in Oklahoma City, um, armed with a stack of papers where he had done a lot of homework on what he wanted to do with this job, a lot of research, had a vision, had a plan. And if they had done the Doug Christie thing, I can say this confidently, like nobody had Luke Duggan. Like he wasn't, you know, he didn't have, you know, wasn't time on the side figuring out what he was going to do with this roster. And, and where I don't have clarity to, to be fair, is that, at minimum, in the negotiations with Alvin, the sense was that if his side pushed too hard and tried to, you know, break the bank and get a bunch of years or whatever, they needed something to push back with. Like, if you're going to be this way, then we'll just go with Doug. A stocking horse or something like that. Yeah. First of all, I think that what you're describing there, the difference between Steve Kerr's preparation and Doug's not having a stack of papers, a lot of that is because you're talking about one guy getting hired in the offseason, one guy, interim. And again, for the interim head coach, you need someone who, chaos is happening. We just fired our coach. You need somebody who's done this shit before, who can walk in there confidently and say, this is what we're going to do, this, this, and this. We're going to run these plays. I know how to run a practice. I know how to do all these things. And it's just not fair to ask Doug, I think, in the middle of the season, how to figure that out. The other thing I want to ask you, Sam, though, is I because I'd heard when it was like a couple of days out, Luke's about to coach his last game. And the front office wants Alvin to do it, to be the interim head coach, that Alvin doesn't want it. Right. Had you heard anything like that, that Alvin had to be convinced to take this job as the interim as opposed to just remaining an assistant? Yeah, I heard that for sure. I think where I land now is that he just, he wanted as much legitimacy put on the title as possible. I mean, I wrote that he had pushed to not have the interim tag and lo and behold, he does have it. So, you know, I think there's some like negotiating, it's too simplistic to call it a bluff, but I think, the the word going in, I mean, I was hearing Doug Christie's name three, four, five days in advance of Luke getting fired, where Alvin's side was of the mind that that, at least that's what was getting put out there, that Doug was going to be the pick. So there was, I, it, it, you know, there was, I think, you know how these things go. Sometimes it's a little, it's a little bit, it's not always clean, right? Like, you know, if you know one move's happening, then you know, you're back channeling kind of some of the other stuff. I don't know exactly how much, if any of that went on, but you know, yeah, for sure. You heard that Alvin didn't want to do it. Um, I think he was just, 
I mean, you know, you're, you're in a chaotic environment. Like you said, you probably want as much foundation and backing as you could possibly get your hands on. Uh, I don't think he got as much as he wanted. I think, you know, they, they kind of, I think the Doug thing ended up helping them to be honest. Hey, Maze. Yo. You like betting on sports? I love to bet on sports. I'm addicted to it. How'd you get into that? Well, I have all this information in my brain, and I just feel like I need to use it. <laughs> Let me tell you something, man. I don't have information in my brain when it comes to sports betting, but I do now, ever since I started listening to BetQL daily i mean same note too bro that's where i get all my information from no way bro oh my god it's so fun listening to joe ostrowski joe giulio and aaron hawksworth serve up wagertainment you like that i just made it up myself the sports talk you love with betting insights you need each weekday find out where the market is moving across all of the week's biggest sporting events and if you miss out on the earlier games, guess what? BetQL Daily has you covered there, too, with recaps from some of the biggest moments in recent sports. If you're not sure where to start with sports betting, start with BetQL Daily, presented by FanDuel. Listen weekdays, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern, on Odyssey, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Sam, to switch gears a little bit, you wrote recently about Frank Vogel's uh coaching hot seat status and that was before lebron james tested positive for COVID. he's going to be out for what seems to be about uh a week or two here at least 10 days uh they just waxed waxed the sacramento kings in the second half so i guess that that question is a little bit different than it was maybe 24 hours ago but to me that situation is not frank vogel's fault I don't see that as Frank Vogel's fault. The fact that they came into this offseason and got a bunch of older players, vets who aren't two-way guys. There are a lot of one-dimensional players. Either they can shoot and they can't defend or they they can really defend, but then they can't score on the other ball. And they have a lot of like one-sided players and very rarely will you find someone on that roster that can do two ways. And of course you have Anthony Davis and LeBron James who can cover for a lot of those uh, weaknesses, but I can't sit here and say that Frank Vogel is at fault for this for this slow start for the Lakers where they're 12 and 11 and yes they're like 7 and 4 with LeBron James in uniform but the, the fact of the matter is they have underperformed this year considerably and if you look at their point differential they're much worse than that record suggests right and to me I can't say I would be surprised if they let Frank Vogel go in the next month or so if the season continues to to just be mediocre I don't know I don't know where to go with this. That is it Frank Vogel's fault? It's not his fault, but he might be the fall guy here because they have to point to something. Cause I just don't think he deserves to get the ax just based on the roster construction. Yeah. I mean, we've seen this a million times, right? Like I don't think it was largely Luke Walden's fault. You know, we we're seeing with Alvin that, that it hasn't changed. Um, but it's the old thing where you can't fire the players. Uh, you know, you, you, you have this kind of, it's that you want to scratch when things get more and more frustrating and that the vibe gets negative and it makes you feel better for a couple of days or a week. But if it doesn't actually make a difference, then, you know, was it worth doing with Frank? I do think the pressure is real. Um, ironically, they went into that game against Detroit last week in the same exact, I think in the same type of situation that, that Luke Walton faced when his team faced Detroit, you remember they were on the road 
against Detroit and they and they beat the Pistons. I think if the Kings would have lost to the Pistons, Luke gets fired that night. They beat the Pistons. The Lakers did the same thing. Um, kept it moving. You know, dropped the game to the Kings, the triple overtime one, which was ugly. And I was with LeBron. Um, I I just you got the macro here, which is that as you guys remember, Frank Vogel was you know essentially the third guy that they tried to get for this job. You know, it was Ty Lue, it was Monty Williams. Um, and to Frank's credit, and I think the stuff that that helps his optics so much right now, it's not just winning the championship. It's winning the championship and going those first two seasons by doing exactly what you advertised when you interviewed for the job. You have already shown that you can lead a, an elite defensive team with you know some of these players. But then after they win the title, and this, I think, over time, this is, might just look worse and worse and worse, is that, you know, Rob Palenka's decision, Kurt Rambis' decision to rebuild a championship roster and mix things up where now you, you're losing all these defenders, the Caruso's, the Caldwell Pope's, even Coos is out there defending in Washington. Um, so it's not a great situation. You know, I think if Frank keeps it, you know, last night, I don't know how much of this you guys caught, and, and our guy, Bill Orham, I thought did a, a nice job writing this is that Frank in his post game press conference fought for himself. And I think a pretty clear way, the guy is not a, a self promoter and some of his language made you feel like he finally had enough and wanted to remind people that, that he did know what he was doing. So, you know, I think he certainly can keep this thing if they don't fall too far down, but I think the pressure is real. How much input did, Vogel have during free agency and the remaking of this team and bringing in so many new faces? Not total clarity other than I feel confident saying that like the Caruso one in particular, I think the coaching staff was disappointed to see him go. And to me, that's enough that kind of tells you that, you know, sort of dynamics would probably apply to most things. What's the fix? They've got three guys that make basically the entire salary cap. Right. This is the bed that they're sleeping in. This is it. THT is the guy that they wouldn't trade for Kyle Lowry. And, you know, Kendrick Nunn still hasn't played. He makes five. And then literally everybody else makes minimum. So to me, I don't see an avenue of roster improvement. But maybe I'm wrong. THT is the only ticket. And he's had a, he's had a down year. Could you entice someone to take Taylor Horton Tucker, 21 years old, has shown glimpses of being... Um, a really good NBA player, maybe not an all-star caliber player, but he's young and he's shown flashes in that system. So that's their only ticket. But when you have Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis all making, you know, north of $35 million, you're, you don't have much wiggle room. That deal for Russell Westbrook was the deal. Like you had pieces that you could get um, a big time player and they decided to go with Russell Westbrook instead of maybe, um, you know, Buddy Heald or uh, someone else that wouldn't have been so just... Uh, all-consuming like like Russell Westbrook is. But LeBron James himself has not had a good year. I think a lot of people are missing that, is that LeBron himself, he's taking a lot more three-pointers. He's not attacking the rim as much. Tom, was it your tweet the other day when you were talking about their defensive rating? Yeah. And somebody was like, oh, they haven't had LeBron. And then you showed the individual defensive rating is the worst on the team. LeBron James, when he's on the floor, the Lakers have the their team's worst defensive rating. It's not all about LeBron James, but the idea that he would rescue them on the defensive end, maybe 
six years ago, that would be the case where he could just come in and organize everything and just be a monster on that end of the floor. But not in November in his age, whatever, 30, 36 year. Um, that's not the case. And he has the highest defensive rating on the team. And again, it's not just him, but the idea that he would solve all of their issues defensively is, is, is not true. Um, and, and that's kind of the issue, right? Is that Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and Russell Westbrook know what it takes to get to the finals, to win a championship. Maybe not in the case of Russell Westbrook, but he did get there in 2012. That they're just kind of in cruise control and know that this is they're going to figure it out and by, they just need to get it into the playoffs and things will get better. I'm not buying that for a heartbeat. I just got back from LA. I've been there five days and then the Lakers were in Sacramento. They're not in a good place. Russ in particular covered him a long time, right? He looks like the kid who got picked in the pickup game and knows that he, he's not playing well, knows he doesn't belong. And is like, is patting everybody on the back a little bit too much and clapping too much and awkwardly trying to celebrate mediocrity left and right. Like you can just tell that he's not comfortable and he's trying to keep the spirits up and he's gotten frustrated with the media because they're asking questions when they lose. Um, and if you, to me, it's probably worth briefly hitting the rewind button and just remembering the, the craziness of how they got here. I mean, I can't ever remember a situation where, you know, player empowerment is one thing, but the way that they kind of LeBron handled the summer with getting to Westbrook, where for all intents and purposes, it was come by LeBron's house and, and interview for the job. Um, Tamar DeRozan come on by, Damian Lillard come on by, and let's talk about what's possible. You know, and this stuff's been reported. We reported a lot of it. The Dame stuff he talked about openly. And, and Russ was the one who wanted very badly to get to L.A. And, and they had that conversation about sacrifice and about, you know, their vision for how to make it work. But, but obviously, you know, that talk they had on LeBron's house and the vision is, is not what we're seeing right now. I'm always curious about this. The homecoming story very rarely pans out, whether it's uh... – Joakim Noah going back to New York or Kemba Walker going back to New York, Derek Rose going or Dwayne Wade going back to Chicago, Russell Westbrook going back to LA. Is this just like at the end of your career, maybe the hometown team wants to give you that, that deal and you kind of rationalize, like I'm not in the same place that I was when I was, you know, a star in this league. And so, Hey, maybe the Lakers will have me and it's a cool story, but this stuff never, it, it just seems to me this never really works out in the way that the fairy tale ideal scripts it to be. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, LeBron going home is obviously the, the preeminent counter to that. Yeah. That one worked out pretty well. <laughs> but yeah. maybe that's LeBron's, you know, blind spot now. And he's like, I, I, it worked for me. Maybe it'll work for us. You know, the surprising part for me is even a, a game like last night, it's a star league, right? So shouldn't you be able to not go down 14 to the lowly Sacramento Kings when you got Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis, Carmelo Anthony and Dwight Howard? So even though they came back and they played well and, and apparently Vogel actually gave a decent halftime speech and got into them a little bit, um, they just continued to have a hard time functioning even, you know, with as much star power as they have. But, but yeah, the homecoming thing, you know, if you're tugging at the heartstrings and, and going down the emotional road for making your career choices, it might not work and it's not working right now. But also, to be fair, there's something these guys all have in common beyond they came home. We came home deep, deep, deep in their careers. All like Dwayne Wade, uh, Kemba, Joe Kim Noah, all these guys were, were pretty much washed at the point that they 
they went home, quote unquote. You know, Russell Westbrook might be the best of the go home guys in terms. Yeah, of- Yeah, I was gonna say he was really good at the second half of last year. You know. Yeah, he, he's the exception now. But again, it's not like he came home to be the guy. He came home to be the third guy, and he's never been the third guy ever really in his career. Uh, not since UCLA. So that that's. I think it has more to do with that, Tom, with, you know, he's not, these guys are all arriving at a time when you could argue the drop-off was going to happen anyway. I find it fascinating from a psychological standpoint, like Russ's last couple of years and the idea that he clearly is conflicted about what kind of basketball he wants to play, what he prioritizes. So, you know, you're, you're in OKC, Paul George is gone, um, and you know you you you're you're feeling the weight of all the, the workload that comes with that. I'm ready to sacrifice. I'm ready to get some more help again. Let me go to Houston, play with James Harden, and do that thing. Doesn't work out like you wanted. Then, as you guys know, at that time when he went to the Wizards, you know the whole driving force from his side was that Russ wants to play Russ basketball again, which was translation like give me the ball. I want to be in charge all the time. And that's what he wanted in Washington. And, you know, but then it's like, you know, kind of the the shiny object in the corner is, wait, I can go back to LA. Oh, okay. Then now I'm going to sacrifice again. It's just this teeter totter of what type of role he's going to play. And the idea that this one obviously isn't working. Two out of the three places that he's left have gotten better the year after he left. Yeah. OKC got better after he left. Washington got better after he left. Houston's the only outlier, but that's because they imploded. They blew everything up anyway. He's the anti-Chris Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? You trade him away, and then you get better. Yeah. I'm down on the Lakers. I have been for quite a while. I, I think we all look at LeBron James and just assume that he's going to be able to to clean up everything for them. And I just – his body is not just showing – signs that he's he's not healthy, you know, with the, with the injuries piling up. But also when he's on the floor, he doesn't look as mobile and we're probably going to eat these words in in uh in the playoffs, but they got to get to the playoffs. They were in the playing game last year and almost almost got bounced and I don't think they have a better team than they did last year. So we'll see on that front. Sam, yes sir. Tom's trivia right now before you go, who is the only Hall of Famer in the uh Naismith Hall of Fame, former NBA player who is named Sam? Jones. That's oh. correct. Yes, there we go. That's too easy, man. That's all you got? What's going on with my brain? Did say, you know who came to mind first? Sam Cook. Like, why am I thinking about Sam it? Cook? Wow, yeah. <laughs> he, is, he is a Hall of Famer. He never said a basketball Hall of Famer, did he? Or right, did you say? Right, right. Did you cl- clarify? Or did you say Hall of Fame? You know what? That would have been a better answer if you were just going <laughs> to say Sam Cook. Cook. He's in Cleveland. We Wasn't produce it? some Sam Cook I, music now. Yeah. A change is going to come. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait. All right. Can you name – how many all-stars named Sam can you name? See, that's better. That's better. Is Perkins ever an all-star? No. That's the first Sam you thought of? No. Hey, come on. That's a great yeah. one. Uh, yo, look. I love smooth, man. Part, yeah, big smooth. Oh, he's been in the headlines, not because he's playing. A Sam? Tom just gave it away. Why am I drawing a blank? He just mimicked it. Oh, I didn't – I wasn't looking at him. You looked yeah, away you when look, he gave you I a visual cue. Ah, big balls. There it is. <laughs> Mr. Cassell. I think the other one might have been Sam Lacey, maybe, back in the day. 
Yeah, Sam Lacey was a one-time All-Star, and also it doesn't count, but Ralph Sampson also oh, an All-Star. Get, uh, sorry, get the sorry, hell out of here. sorry, <laughs> sorry. Sam Amick from The Athletic, thank you so much for joining us. Can't wait to read the Steve Kerr piece and everything else you've got coming out of there. The two-week December 15th threshold where a lot more players become eligible for trade, that's right around the corner, so everyone's going to be locked in to Sam Amick's feed. Thank you so much for joining us in the Haber Show this week, and have a safe holiday, okay? Of course. Appreciate you guys. Talk to you. All right. I mean, I just did the Tom's Trivia with Sam. Do you have a rant for us this evening? I do have a rant, a Kevin Durant. No. Come on, man. Grow up. Grow up. Yeah, you grow up. Come on, bro. I've got a rant, Tom. This week we had Bulls versus Hornets, the Ball Bowl, not to be confused with the Bowl Bowl. Obviously, LeVar Ball was in attendance. He wore, I believe, a hat that said, I told you so. And there were a lot of people like, oh, you guys doubted. Oh, but LeVar Ball's, uh, you know, predictions came true and thus solidifying that he did the right thing. And I was like, wait a second. First of all, nobody said his kids couldn't play. We knew Lonzo was obviously an NBA player, a top five prospect. And LaMelo, everyone said, was better than Lonzo in terms of just as he was growing up at the same age level, he was pacing ahead of either of his older brothers. So we had a strong feeling that they would both be NBA players. If, if, if the idea is like he got two NBA players in there, we always, no one ever doubted that. If the idea is, hey, I said that they were going to be stars and you guys said no, not just NBA players, they, they'd be stars. LaMelo looks like he's headed to, to stardom. Okay, I'll give you that one. Alonzo Ball's not a star. He's a very good NBA player, but he's not a star. And if we're going to remind you of things LeVar Ball said, he also said that Lonzo Ball was better than Steph Curry right now. We said this <laughs> before Lonzo Ball had played a minute of NBA basketball while Steph Curry was about a year removed from being the unanimous MVP in basketball. It's just preposterous. If we're going to say, hey, it's the levels to it, then let's remember the levels that this guy promised. And if anything, you know, if we want to take a look at the biggest thing that has allowed both of those guys, both Lonzo at this stage of his career and LaMelo at the gate to flourish, it's the absence of LeVar Ball, right? When, in my eyes, what happened to Lonzo early in his career was trying to live up to an unreal standard that was created, an expectation, not created by Laker fans, not created by Magic Johnson as the uh, president of basketball operations, but created by his own father who was out here telling the whole world that his son was the best guard in the league as a rookie. And that led to confidence issues. And that, I, you know, I think, took a while for him to find himself as a player. And as I said, he's a, a very good player. The reality is the biggest thing that LaMelo had beyond being able to see how his brother went through things and kind of learn from that was that his father wasn't doing the LaVar Ball show for him in the NBA. And I think the biggest thing those two guys have going for them right now is that they don't have to deal with their father's shenanigans and they can just go out there and be basketball players. So. 
Don't tell me I got to apologize to LeVar Ball. I got to apologize for shit. There you have it. I would say the other thing is, uh, again, being at home is not what it's cracked up to be with, with L.A. and Lonzo Ball starting his career in L.A. But that is plays into that, right? Obviously, there are a lot of factors. There are always a lot of factors. And I'm, absolutely, when you want to talk about homecoming for a young player, to me, way more dangerous and way more indicative of the issue than of an older player who's ending his career there. Because ultimately, as a young player, you're already it's hard enough to adjust to the NBA. But then the idea that every game, every home game, you have like a zillion ticket requests and all of these expectations by people who have like all the access because the access never stopped or changed. That's that's an issue. That's problematic. You know, there's probably a handful of guys in the modern era, you know, back, not counting back before we had territorial picks and stuff like that, that have played at their home home city and handled it. I think Derrick Rose is the one that comes to mind as a star player playing in his home city and handling it well. Outside of that, man, there are not too many examples. All right. That'll do it this week at the Haber Show. And if you haven't listened to it already, go check out our post-game show that we did over at Lebetard Show on the YouTube channel, Lebetard and Friends. Yeah. We had Jerry Ferrara, Turtle. Yeah. Joe Proctor. It's fun. It was awesome. Told stories. He told us that if the Knicks moved to Seattle, he'd be a Seattle Knicks fan before he'd be a Brooklyn Net fan, despite being from Brooklyn and his mom still lives in Brooklyn. Uh, great times. Great times with Jerry. He also told the story of playing pickup with cousin Greg from Succession. So go check out that story. Tom, we got to work on your teases. You can't give away all, all the shit. You should just say, oh, it oh, just got to say, you got to hear this story. Him and cousin Greg from <laughs> Succession. And that's it. I mean, a lot going on in the NBA these days, and sometimes you feel like you're behind and you miss the biggest sports headlines from the night before. Have you ever wondered, I mean, how what happens in the league or in the NBA might affect your bets or impact this week's bets? I'll be honest with you, man. I try. I try. I wake up in the morning. I turn on the radio, satellite radio, local radio, trying to get insights you can't listen to every podcast though and every radio station tom so how do you how does one narrow it down to the information that i need to make good bets i mean there's a lot of like nightly recap podcasts but if you want one with a betting angle what you should do is relive the best in sports from the night before with bet mgm tonight presented by bet mgm i listen to it because there's just so much stuff out there that i can't possibly keep up I like that they have this kind of new age look at how to approach the NBA or any sport. Bet MGM tonight is a high energy live destination for casual and hardcore sports fans alike. It's engaging. It's polarizing. It's relevant. So get caught up in the sports betting world with a heavy dose of entertainment. Quentin Mayo, my guy Q from NBC Sports Washington and Ryan Horvat from 1250 AM The Fan and Trista Crick are joined by on-site correspondents to bring you insider information in real time. Every detail matters when making bets. Bet MGM tonight dives deeper to help give you the edge. That's right, guys. It's fun to bet on the games, but it's even way more fun. You've got the inside scoop. Tune in to BetMGM tonight, presented by BetMGM. Listen on Odyssey, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's BetMGM tonight, presented by BetMGM. That's BetMGM tonight, presented by BetMGM. You heard it here, folks. That's BetMGM tonight, 
Presented by BetMGM. And in case you're wondering, BetMGM tonight. Presented by BetMGM. What you didn't hear before, but what I'm going to tell you right now, you need to tune in to BetMGM tonight. Presented by BetMGM. For the people in the back, louder. BetMGM tonight. Presented by BetMGM.